Welcome to Manifesto, a podcast. Your regular visit to the archives of vanity, where men and women who stop making myths turn to issuing proclamations. Your guides for this journey, my co-host Phil Cly, author of the National Book Award-winning short story collection, Redeployment, and the novel Missionaries, forthcoming in October 2020 from Penguin Press. Our crack producers, Alex Brooklyn and Adam Camara of Racket Media, and our honored guest today, the great Paul Berman, author of books like Terror and Liberalism, which introduced me to Camus, not incidentally. Camus the Rebel, that is. Uh, books like Power and the Idealist from Norton. And the columnist, most recently of the Modern Times column at Tablet Magazine, where he is the essayist in residence, essayist in eminence, and, uh, and the author of the truly uh, human and vibrant Modern Times column, which he started at the beginning of the coronavirus and is a collection of, I think I described it as, lunch counter ruminations and literary marginalia, which both does it justice and doesn't quite do it justice. That's Paul Berman. He's joining us today. We're lucky to have him. And I, of course, am neither a victim nor an executioner. (laughs) Jake Siegel, may you continue to be a person. Paul, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Um, and I'd just like to, to co-sign on the, the Modern Times column is, is really excellent. Uh, we'll, we'll include a link to that uh, in the show notes. You should definitely check it out. Uh, and there's some comments about the plague, too. Yes. So, yeah, actually, yeah. it, it kind of starts. Uh, it's, well, that was one of the early ones, wasn't it, Paul, the, the column that mentions the plague? Uh, the, the plague, I think I've mentioned the plague one time, but really right. it's been in the back of my mind in, in writing various of those little columns. And you should add that the, the column, it's, a, it's an unusual column because the form for that column is, is something less than 250 words. So these are really micro essays or, or little prose poems or, or there or something, but they're, they're, they're not a standard, they're not a standard no. newspaper column. No, foitons, would that be an accurate description? I, I, I don't know what the description is. It's something or other. They, they are something or others. And okay. Well, do, give do, me an excuse to do, do show to read? people that I know what a foiton is. <laughs> do, do you want to read the, the, a bird, Jake? Yeah, I would love to. Just to, to give people uh, a sense so of So this that. is, uh, absolutely, that's a, a good idea. This is from, um, I don't have the date, but you can find all of Paul's uh, modern times, foitons, lunch counter ruminations, whatever we're calling them, short poetic essays uh, on tablet uh, under Paul Berman, Modern Times. And this is a bird. It is odd to notice how lovely is the warbling of a bird somewhere above the broad avenue. Of course, I do not know what kind of bird. I am a city man. How should I know? An operatic bird, I would say a bird with solid voice projection and a florid vibrato. But mostly it is odd to notice how vivid is the warbling against the near silence of the streets, not loud like a car honk, but then because car honks are a thing of the past, a warbling that might well be as loud. I wonder about the bird himself. 
And I'm going to stop there at about the halfway point. I, I think if that doesn't convince you to read the rest, you're an incorrigible. But uh, for the rest <laughs> of you, go find the rest uh, under a bird. And that's from yeah. Paul's Modern Times Come Again. So, Paul, um, I don't know if you recall this, but in 2006, I interviewed you uh, right when Power and the Idealists came out, actually under the pen name Stephen Malone for New York Press. And I have no idea why I thought I was so important. I was about to leave for Iraq. I was in the army at the time. And I had such delusions of grandeur, I suppose, that I thought that the army would care that I was publishing something (laughs) about um, intellectual ideas and, and references to Dr. Ryu. So I used a pen name. I've never quite understood why I did that. Um, I think maybe it made me feel more important. But in that short interview, I actually asked you about the plague because uh, I forget his, I believe it's Bernard Kushner, who was the founder of Doctors Without Borders, uh, Medicine Sans Frontieres, had reminded me in your depiction of him, he's a central character in the book, um, and he had reminded me in certain ways of Dr. Ryu. And I think my question to you was Dr. Ryu being one of the central characters in the plague. And I was asking you whether that was intentional. So that's our history, uh, my history with Paul Berman, the plague. But Paul, how did you come to Camus and how did you come to this novel, The Plague, or in French, La Peste? Well, Jake, first, let me... Let me say that I, I do remember your coming to see me, and, I, and, and I, I do remember that discussion. It was intensely dramatic because, of course, you were on your way to Iraq. And so we, we, we talked about some very profound things, uh, really. I'd forgotten that the conversation was with someone named Stephen Malone, but, 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 yeah, but the other aspects of the, of the conversation I remember well. Camus. I came to I my first encounter with Camus was reading The Rebel, and The Rebel impressed me a lot. And and uh, though I, I read it uh, a thousand years ago, and when I set out uh, in the wake of nine eleven to to write uh, what became Terror and Liberalism, I realized with astonishment that that The Rebel by Camus was kind of a master text for in in my in in my estimation at that time, I still think so. A master text for being able to understand, being able to understand what we were facing and, and to be able to understand the whole phenomena of terror and totalitarian movements and, and that sort of thing. So I went back and, and, and reread the rebel and, and uh, really it's, it's, it's a great book. Uh, And it, it has a lot to tell us about, how people go crazy, how anyone can go crazy, how we can go crazy, but how people do go crazy and end up in, uh, in monstrous movements like um, the one that attacked New York in, in 2001. So that was my introduction to, to Camus. Um, you know, I've read you know, other books by Camus and, 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 and a bunch of essays, and I've got various little volumes of, of essays of Camus from... Uh, from the the anarchist press in 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 France and whatnot, Camus is a very appealing figure. Um, 
and he, he's appealing. Uh, he appeals to all my nostalgias, all my uh, ideals, all, all my uh, fear of ideals. He, he, he appeals to, to, to everything. He had the right kind of um, leftism uh, in, in, my, in my estimation. So. Describe that leftism for us, because it is a, a particular kind. It's a, it's a leftism. Uh, I'm tempted to say a leftism of one, but of course Camus would dramat- he would reject that entirely. That that. Uh, but how would you describe it, Paul? Well, I think a leftism of one is is how things should be. You know, uh, everyone should think for themselves, and 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 if you really think for yourself, um, you're one. And, um, Camus left this. Camus went through. Uh, Cam- Everyone will remember that Camus was a, a French Algerian, so he grew up in, in Algeria. He was part of the of the anti-imperialist movement there and the movement for justice. He joined the Communist Party for a little while. He recognized in the 30s. He recognized that was that was a big mistake, and he went his own way. And his own way meant that uh, politically, he called himself a um, a liberal socialist, which is an unusual word in in in, in the French political vocabulary, but makes sense to me that he wanted to join together the virtues of liberalism and the ideals of socialism. What that meant was that he admired, he did not admire the Soviet Union, he admired the the, the Scandinavian social democratic republics, which was which is a good ideal. And he joined that with a, a kind of a... Um, a bit of a nostalgia or sentimentality for the old anarchist movement. And the anarcho-syndicalists. The, so. the anarcho-syndicalists and the Spanish anarchists and, and people like that, who, yeah. who, who, whose virtue was to have a, have, have a real sense of, of individual freedom or libertarianism, yeah. as, as, they, as they called it, and, 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 and a real sense that, that people shouldn't be bossed around and should, should be able to govern their own, their own affairs. They had a lot of shortcomings. Uh, they had no practical sense. Uh, uh, they failed, but but his joining together of a Scandinavian social democracy with a with a nostalgia or sentimentality for the old time anarchists seemed to me, still seems to me, very attractive. And yeah, I've always heard it described as libertarian socialism. Would he describe? Would he subscribe to? But I think it probably means the the same thing more or less in this context. Uh, <laughs> It, it does, but I but but I like the fact that he used he himself actually used the word Did he? Uh, which which is unusual in France. France right. the word liberal in France uh, actually means for the French conservative, but but so it's a little confusing. Um, so the the book you mentioned a moment ago, Paul the Rebel, which I was introduced to, I think I mentioned in in the introduction through your book Terror and Liberalism. Yeah, I would say The Rebel is a philosophical treatise, so it's interesting that that's the first thing you read by Camus, since Camus thought of himself, I think, principally as a, an artist, uh, an artist a writer of fictions and of plays, and an essayist, but not a philosopher in a formal sense. Um, but that is a an absolutely, it's not just a brilliant book. I mean, it's one of the, handful of books that I can say without any grandiosity or without trying to puff it up. It changed my life. It changed the way I thought about the world, that book. I had, in fact, very certain sort of definite positions that changed as a result of reading The Rebel. Uh, 
sometimes translated as, I forget the French, but man in revolt. Uh, but I had changed the way I thought about the death penalty, for instance, after I read that mm-hmm. book. I changed the way I thought about, oddly enough, I, I changed the way I thought about gun rights, actually. I became more pro-gun as a result of reading that book because I thought that it, the idea that you should fear the uh, coercive totalitarian state seemed to me um, entirely reasonable and that private gun ownership, which of course can be taken to absurd extremes, but seemed to me a very reasonable and actually a wise precaution against that. So anyway, that's a book that changed my life. And I think it belongs to the same period of Camus writing as the plague, which is sort of the middle period, right? After this initial encounter with the absurdity of the universe. Right. After after he realizes that's not enough, right? The absurd teaches nothing. Right. The absurd teaches nothing. And this, this is what the rebel starts with, actually. So the rebel starts with this encounter with the absurd, and then it, wh- where do you go from there? You could stare dumb, mute into an abyss forever, and it might even make sense to do so. I mean, it's not exactly unreasonable if you realize that the thing you're facing is, in fact, the abyss and that it doesn't care about you at all, and that care is only a kind of illusory epiphenomenon, maybe it makes sense to just, like, lie down on the ground, slack-jawed, and not move anymore. But it, but, it's, but it doesn't make sense, of course. And so the plague belongs to this same period. And, uh, Phil, do you want to you kind of tell yeah. people a so, bit about the plague? So we, you know, we'll probably talk about bits from the entirety of the book, the, the, the place that we wanted to focus on, uh, especially sort of to give our readers like an anchor would be the end of part two. The plague is fairly simple. Um, there's a town Iran and a plague comes and the, there are a couple characters, um, that the, the novel follows. And there are these kind of long passages of almost kind of, like sociological description of how people behave during a plague, um, how they respond to it, uh, the kind of masses of people. And then there are particular players. Um, there's uh, a priest, Panalu, who in the first part of section two gives a sermon that's of the sort of kind of typical, like this punish, this, you know, pestilence is a punishment of God from God. Right. Um, and then there's a doctor, Rue, who's sort of the, the hero of the novel. Uh, and ultimately, we find out the narrator. Um, there's Taru, who's writing a, a, um, a, a diary. Uh, and in the section that um, we were focusing on, uh, which it begins with the, the little segment within part two that begins, it was Taru who had asked Rue for the interview he refers to in his diary. Um, and in the you know, most recent vintage paperback, it's page 122 up to the end of part two, which is 164. Um, Taru decides to organize people to work with the medical folks, a group of volunteers who are going to help do the various functions that need to be done to deal with the plague, to deal with the dying, to deal with the dead. Um, uh, there's a, uh, a journalist, Rambert, who has just kind of accidentally ended up in this city and then gets stuck there and is trying to escape. Um, because his wife is back in Paris, right? Rambert's yeah. a journalist who's uh, 
in Oran and his wife, who he clearly loves deeply, is in Paris and he's, and I, I'm going into this a bit because it's important to this section, he's, he's desperate to get back to her and is trying to arrange this with the local uh, criminal cartel and smugglers so that he can, the city is quarantined, so he has to get right. out of Oran. So he goes to the um, smugglers to get him out of Oran. And at the same time, the other sort of major uh, thing that's going on at the same time is that Taru has set up these sanitary squads, to essentially volunteer squads to help the city. And so he's setting up these sanitary squads with you know, this volunteer organization. And Rambert, who was in the Spanish Civil War, as he tells us, mm-hmm. wants to leave to get back to his wife, who he loves, but is fighting with his own impulse because he doesn't want to think of himself as a coward or be thought of as a coward or a shirker. Right. And, and one of the sort of interesting things is he's having these conversations with Rue. So Rue has this sort of, uh, you kind of get Rue's philosophy uh, during this section. It's one of the reasons that I wanted to do it. Um, and it's this kind of quiet, I mean, revolt, right? Like, so the, the, the rebel, I think, what is it? Um, uh, I revolt, therefore we are, is the kind of primary mm-hmm. st- starting place of, of, of the rebel. Uh, and for Rue, you know, he's isolated. His wife is off in like a, a tuberculosis sanatorium, right? So he's isolated from his wife. Um, and the only thing that he has to do is to tell the truth, right? Um, when he initially meets Rambert, he at, and Rambert has questions about the, the Arab population, and he questions him about whether he could be totally honest. Uh, and when Rambert says that he couldn't, he refuses to, to uh, engage in the interview. Uh, he's honest to the officials about the nature of the plague. And then uh, he does the work of trying to fight it, knowing that he can't. Um, you know, there's, there's a limit to what he can do. Um, and there's a sort of, uh, section where he's having this conversation with Taru about how, you know, his, you know, he, he feels his job is fighting against creation as he found it, right? Since the order of the world is shaped by death, might it be better for God if we refuse to believe in him and struggle with all our might against death without raising our eyes toward the heaven where he sits in silence? Yes, it's true. But your victories won't be lasting. Yes, a never ending defeat. Right. Um, and so that's, that's Rue's sort of, um, philosophy. He doesn't have any illusions. He doesn't necessarily have hope. Um, but he does have a kind of solidarity with the town and a kind of revolt against the circumstances that he finds himself in that he's going to fight against. And then there's sort of two differing kind of, views of what your obligations in this time are um there's Penelu, who's uh the priest right who issues this sermon where he tries to interpret the plague theologically um it's the first of two sermons right um uh you know one which is sort of that's kind of pat simple uh this is a a, a plague being sent to punish us and then after Penelu witnesses the death of a child we'll give the second sermon that's very different um and then uh there's Rambert who thinks that, yes, it's all well and good to fight the plague, but also sort of finding love in this world is incredibly important. And uh, he thinks that his responsibility is to be with the woman that he loves, 
right? This is not his place and he should, um, he should go there. Uh, and there are these sort of interesting conversations that he has with, with Rue about whether that's, um, an acceptable ethic. So what do you think, Paul? Is that, uh, is the, is the, the philosophy of Dr. Rue modest as it is, um, that in the absence of an interventionist God, with in and in the absence of the interventionist God and in the full knowledge of a ceaseless tide of defeat that will be revisited after every victory, that nevertheless um, the thing to do is to try and abate suffering where you see it. I mean, it works for a novel, but but is that uh, is that enough to live on? What do you think? <laughs> uh, what do I think? Um, Resolve this for us, will you please? Uh, I'd be happy to. I I put it this way that, that I particularly love. So each of you have, have has given a long rap, and I'll give my own rap. Like I I I I particularly love how, how this novel begins because Camus describes the the, the city of Oran, which is a city of he tells us two hundred thousand people, and it, it as he describes it. Is the city with almost no traits at all. It has no distinguishing characteristics. It's not a beautiful city. There's, there's nothing remarkable about it. He gives no physical descriptions of it. He doesn't tell us what the town square is or, 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 or what the houses look like. He tells us that the people are, are uh, as, as um, city dwellers go, uh, uh, very uninteresting. This is not the Paris of, of, of North Africa. It, it is a bland, nondescript, uninteresting place, an unbeautiful place. And this is a fantastic beginning because he, he's describing a place that, that, that has so few traits, almost as to have no traits at all. And, and a place that has no traits at all allows you to see other traits. And, and so right from the start, we're plunged into questions of um, love and death and, and the meaning of life. That's, that's the actual geography of the town as, as he lays it out. And then the town is, is struck with, the, you, know, you know, stricken with this, this horrible plague of dead rats, which turns into into dead people uh, very quickly. And then the question becomes, and this, it's this that he argues about with, that, that Dr. Uh, Rue ar- argues about with, with Father Panalou and, and Rambert, the, the journalist, and Teru and, and, and his, his other friends. Uh, what is the right thing to do? And h- how, do we, how do we respond? And, and, and Rue's response is that, well, we have to be honest and we have to be true to ourselves. That's our response. And no one else has that response at first, except for um, uh, the criminal. Uh, uh, I've forgotten his name. Um, Qatard? Uh, Qatard. Qatard. When, when, when uh, Taru and, and, and Dr. Rue are setting up their, their um, sanitary squads, they ask Qatard if he if he would like to join, and he says, "No, that's not my métier. That's my that's not my vocation." He doesn't exactly say what his vocation is, but we all know what it is. His vocation is to be criminal, and yeah. and, and and so he, he's so, a wonderful character, who, and he loves the plague because 
he's a hunted man, but while the plague is, is ongoing, everybody's in the same state yes. that he is. Yes. So what's, what's great about him and, and is that he's true to himself. And this is what, this is what Dr. Rue wants to be. So when, when uh, uh, Taru or somebody turns to Dr. Rue and says, you know, why are you doing this? Uh, it's Rambert. Uh, uh, Dr. Rue says, well, it's my métier. It's my vocation. He gives the same answer. He uses the same language that Cotard, the criminal, has, has used. So now the argument to be true to yourself or to be true to your vocation, you know, hopefully you have a good vocation instead of a bad vocation. But the, the argument to be, to be true to yourself is a very difficult argument because everybody wants to tell you to be true to something else. So Father Panalu, the, the priest, he's, he gives two sermons. They're fantastic sermons. I mean, by the way, I, I love sermons and novels. You know, the, the, some do an anthology, the greatest sermons and novels. Yeah. Uh, so Father, Father Panalu wants to tell us that, that a plague is the wrath of God, is the punishment of God. It's like the plague in the Bible. And, and that we should be, we should greet it with a kind of joy because we're getting the truth from God and, and, uh, we may die, but, but, but this is going to lead to, uh, ultimate salvation. And it, and it, and it's a good thing. In the second sermon, he gives a variation of that. It's no longer that we should, we should, uh, rejoice in it. We should, but we should accept, we should love our suffering. We, we should see in our suffering a, a, a road to, to, to true faith. So Father Panalu responds to the whole thing by saying we must be true to faith and, and true to God, which is not the same thing as being true to yourself. Uh, 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 Rambert wants to, be, wants to be true to love, which, which, which Rue thinks is, is perfectly legitimate, and he, and he honors it. And then Rambert changes, not because he wakes up in some way, but because he's stuck in Iran, and, and being stuck in Iran for long enough uh, leads him to realize that he's now of Iran, and he loves the people of Iran. So he's going to remain in Iran fighting the plague for the same reason that at first he was, was going to lead him to leave Iran. Right. Which is that he's going to be true to what he calls great sentiments or great emotions. And, and, and the great emotion that he wants to be true to is love. So he's going to be true to, to the love that he's come to feel for the people of, of Iran. Uh, Taru has the idea of, um, uh, uh, Taru is another great, great character. And, and he, he has the idea, he wants to be a saint. So his, his, his purpose is, 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 to, is to be a saint, to be selflessly serving other people. And this doesn't impress Dr. Rue either, because Dr. Rue does not want to be a saint. He doesn't even want to be a hero. He wants yeah. to be true to himself. He wants to be honest and he wants to accept people or, or, or man, as Camus says, a, a, a people as they are and, right. and, and, and to accept people to be human and to be human, to be honest to yourself um, means in, in a situation like this, that of course you're going to fight against, you're going to fight against death. Uh, 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 Teru, in a way, wants wants to fight against. Certainly, wants to fight against death, but he wants to be a saint first of all, which is which is which is a different I- idea, and and a scary idea. Father Panalu doesn't want to fight against death at all, even though 
himself as as a as an individual human being he does but as a priest he doesn't he wants he wants to rejoice in the if, in, in in whatever god has deigned to uh, deigned to give the people of iran which is a terrible plague uh, so 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 there it is the you know it's a whole series of of of, of people all, all men you know it's a male novel um, yeah. all, all men, each, each one upholding his, uh, his his own principle, and Rue really has the the key principle, which is honesty, uh, uh, humanity, and 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 a impatience, uh, a real impatience for anything that would lead you away from that. I mean, he's really indignant at all these other responses. So um, that that's that's how I. I see the novel um, and a lack of interest in heroism. I mean, he's clearly the hero of the novel, but um, he sort of directly rejects the idea that, that an occasion like this calls for heroism. He, he, he says that um, um, all that it acquires, all that it requires is um, sort of, you know, the addition of two and two and its sum is four, right? That there's a sort of obvious thing that ought to be done in this place. Um, and he says, uh, is render the truth it's due to the addition of two and two, it's sum of four, and to heroism, the secondary place that rightly falls to it just after, never before, the noble claim of happiness. And the, um, the hero that he offers up, um, is Grand, who's another marvelous character. He's this poor civil servant who has been writing a novel for years, but he's only been writing and rewriting the first sentence. Um, and at different points in the novel, you get different variants of the first sentence as he's trying to, to perfect it. Um, There's a horse and a woman involved. <laughs> Flowers <laughs> at certain points. <laughs> Flowers. Um, and when, when Rue thanks uh, Grand, because Grand joins these, these squads that are you know, risking themselves trying to do the necessary work that needs to be done, uh, when Rue thanked him with some more warmth, he seemed surprised. Well, that's not difficult. Plague is here, and we've got to make a stand. That's obvious. Ah, oh, I only wish everything were so simple, right? And to, you know, from the perspective of the novel, um, the, you know, it's, it's, it's not heroism so much as seeing clearly um, and then just sort of doing the thing that needs to be done. Yeah, Jake, you have a... I, I dissent here. Um, yeah. And I do it, you know, dissent from Phil Klein, Paul Berman at my own peril, but I'm going to risk it because I think that, I think that Ryu, Ro, Ru, um, doctor, the doctor, Ru, is so, um, he is so unassuming. He is so without pretense. He is so true to himself so effortlessly that there's a kind of beatific uh, secular saintliness to him Mm -hmm. that makes him too much the hero of the novel to actually be the hero of the novel. Um, Because the doctor's, his sort of perfect attitude, which is Mm -hmm. to, to, be true purely to himself, to be true purely to the situation, which is to say, not that he, as the doctor, can cure everything. How can you cure a plague? It always returns. 
but to to express the most perfect moral principle in the most um, in the most dispassionate terms. Two plus two equals four. This is my vocation. I I don't mean to suggest I disagree with anything, Paul, that you said or or Phil that you said. This is exactly right. He's true to his nature, but it's a bit too effortless. <laughs> Whereas Rambert, the journalist who wants to leave for love originally, but not for the idea of love. He mm-hmm. wants to leave for the woman who he loves. Right. That's the love. She's the love. And it's a feeling. It's a great feeling. But that feeling requires a, a human subject. And the human subject, as Paul says, becomes Oran because he's in Oran. Right. And how can you look at the suffering and at the same time look at the people trying to do something? How can you look at the situation and the people trying to do something, trying to live with the situation grand in his yeah. sort of pleasant, you know, preoccupation with his silly novel, while at the same time he quietly attends to his duties. How could you look at this and not feel love? You'd have to be insensate or a monster or something. But it, for me, it's, and this section gets it perfectly, Rambert is actually, and you know, not for nothing, he's the writer, and uh, it's it's not not exactly... Um, a new trick for the writer to represent the writer. But um, for me, that's, that's the one thing is like the tension in Rambert that the, the struggle with what it means to be true to oneself, which is such a difficult thing to figure out and disease dramatizes so perfectly because here it is death incarnate. And yet it has no consciousness. It has no will. So you can't impute bad motive to it. You can't, mm-hmm. you know, like Panalu has to summon God to create a moral accounting because there's none there on the evidence, right? On the <laughs> evidence, it's just germ and bacteria and rats bleeding from the mouth. So that's... So this uh, is yeah. This is like, I mean, there's one of the, the great sections earlier on where they talk about humanists. Um, Which Paul, I think... Uh, yeah. yeah, Paul has a great... Paul quotes in his, this is a, a, a very key passage that yeah. Paul quotes in his modern times column. Yeah. It, it, and it's so resonant today. Um, uh, he's talking about sort of how people just, they couldn't, even though there were all these indications, they couldn't see it coming. Uh, when a war be- breaks out, people say it's too stupid. It can't last long, but though war may well be too stupid, that doesn't prevent its lasting. Stupidity has a knack of getting its way, as we should see if we were not always so much wrapped up in ourselves. In this respect, our townsfolk were like everybody else, wrapped up in themselves. In other words, they were humanists. They disbelieved in pestilences. A pestilence isn't a thing made to man's measure. Therefore, we tell ourselves that pestilence is a mere bogey of the mind, a bad dream that will pass away. But it doesn't always pass away, and from one bad dream to another, it is men who pass away, and the humanists first of all, because they haven't taken their precautions. Um, Which is just a great, um, great, great line. Um, Also, I sort of think, uh, didn't Sartre's um, existentialism as a humanism come out the year before uh, this novel? I think so. So. Well, I, I, I defend poor old Dr. Rue. I don't, th- I don't, I don't, I don't think he's, he's, he's too much. I think that his argument against heroism is, should be understood this way, that 
he's against the concept of heroism or for looking for heroism because heroism is something special. Mm. And, and he, he's not looking for something special. He's looking for everyone or he's calling for himself and his friends to be honest, to be true to themselves and, 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 and to recognize that, that, that they're dealing with, 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 with people, with, with actual people. They're not dealing with concepts, with theologies, ideas. They're dealing with people. So he's just calling for, for himself and, and his friends to be faithful to themselves and their own honesty. And I think uh, that uh, Dr. Rue ought to be recognizable to us today. I, mean, I'm, I think we have thousands of Dr. Rue's right now who are the medical workers in, in, yeah. in the hospitals right now, who, yes, from a certain point of view, they are extraordinary heroes. But, but from, a, from, from Dr. Rue's point of view, there's something better than that. They're honest people who are being faithful to their vocation. And, right. and, 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 and her followers are, are adding up two plus two and arriving at four, which is, which is leading them uh, to do what needs to be done. And it's, it's, it's the, the most moving thing and the terrible spectacle before our eyes right now is that, is that large parts of society, of American society, not everybody, but large parts of American society have really risen to the occasion. And, and, they've, and they've done that in Dr. Rue's manner by, right. by being faithful to their vocations, to their jobs, and, 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 and being honest with themselves, honest about their, about their vocation and realizing uh, what they're doing. It's, it's other people uh, who, who are being false, who are looking for politics mm. in it, or, or, look, or, or in the president's case, trying to get reelected and deceiving the people in, very, in, in, in various ways. But the medical people and, and uh, uh, the police, the fire department, all, all those people are just being faithful to their to their to the oaths they've sworn uh, when when they when they took up their professions yeah. and 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 to the people therefore that they have be, they have become so this is the call in 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 the novel for for this kind of simple fidelity to oneself uh, to to the to the vocations that that people have have chosen and to one's fellow man yeah. and and Doctor Rue's his intellectual problem in the course of the book is to discover one person after another who has trouble with this, this idea, who wants to have two plus two equals theology or two plus two equals some other thing. And, and so he has to, he has to argue against, against each of these other alternatives. In, in um, uh, Joseph Grand, uh, who joins the sanitary squads as the, basically as the bookkeeper, and it's, it's the organizer of the, of the, you know, of the books back in the, back in the office, he, he, he labels Joseph Grand his ideal of the hero precisely because Joseph Grand is not a heroic character. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a silly old guy with a, with, with a literary uh, 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 delusion that he's that he's writing a that he's writing a, a novel uh, uh, who who has, who has a, a a silly life, but who rises to the occasion and 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 becomes the bookkeeper, the necessary person for for the for the sanitary. Sanitary squads. Uh, Rambert. Rambert is someone who 
who Dr. Rue always admires, because each of Rambert's choices, first the choice to, to, to try to flee Iran and, and join his, his wife, um, is, is a valid choice. And then his choice to remain in Iran is a valid choice, because Rambert is always being faithful, faithful to himself. He just has this little complexity. Now, Rambert doesn't quite understand that, that you know, Rue also has a wife. And, and so, you know. The, the other thing I'll say is um, I think there are the sort of times and occasions where you have institutions or social circumstances that allow people to simply add up two and two and get four. And I, you know, um, some interesting things have been noted about the fact that when he was beginning working on this novel, Camus was uh, taking a room in a farmhouse um, in Le Panelier, I can't pronounce French words, Le Panelier, which was near uh, a village of Chambon-sur-Lignon, which was a mostly Protestant village um, and led by their pastor, André Trocmé, they saved the lives of more than 3,000 Jewish refugees, right? Um, uh, uh, when a Vichy official demanded if they were hiding Jews, uh, Trocmé famously replied, we do not know what a Jew is, we know only men. Um, and the uh, that town's village doctor's name was Rue, um, which is interesting. Uh, and on that note about sort of not seeking out heroism for heroism's sake. Um, this is Daniel Trochme writing to his parents on his decision to go to Le Chambon and run a school for refugee Jewish children, uh, September 11th, 1942. Le Chambon represents for me, first of all, an education, then a kind of contribution to the reconstruction of the world. I will honestly be myself there. The future will tell me if I'm equal to the task or not. And what's more, it will only tell me because it's not a question here of success in the eyes of the world. Le Chambon means adventure. I've chosen adventure not because it's an adventure, but so that I would not be ashamed of myself. Um, and he would ultimately uh, ultimately die. Um, but yeah, I think it's that sort of um, sentiment. Um, should, we, should we talk maybe about the, that conversation towards the end of part two that... Uh, we definitely should. I have to say one yeah, more thing, though, just to clarify that I do not for a moment mean to, um, I don't know, question the character of Dr. Rue, let alone impugn it. I, I think that... The, <laughs> I'm that going to later. Too, no, it's too... He's just... Um, it's so natural to him, Paul. What I'm saying is that, like, ethically, it's... Uh, it's almost implacable how sort of perfect and simple and direct the ethic is. And so in that sense, though you know that there is suffering because you know his wife is in the sanitarium, and also there are these moments of tenderness uh, with Dr. Rue, with his mother, um, that sort of, you know, lend the... Uh, more human quality or human is not the word, but lend a uh, less purposeful quality to show him to you in a light where it's not just him being so kind of doggedly and, and um, uh, totally dedicated to the task with Rambert, because there's this sort of, you know, the aesthetic appeal of Rambert is in the, 
that there's conflict in it and personal conflict. Mm-hmm. And he's not, uh, he's not a bad guy. He's a good guy. And he, but to understand that two plus two equals four, mm-hmm. you know, I think of this Paul as like one of sort of the, the great overarching themes of your own work in a sense, right? Like who are, what it should be the simplest thing in the world. Who are the Nazis? You just, when you know who the Nazis are, then you know what justice is because justice means fighting the Nazis. What could possibly be simpler than that, right? What could ever possibly be simpler than that? And yet what could be more difficult than that? And people pursuing that very stark and simple moral logic, who are the Nazis, let us resist them, have twisted themselves into some monstrous, insane, perverse positions just from just from that simple premise and and so i just appreciate in rambert that i understand that he's not uh well, he, he's been burned who dr Rue is but yeah. i see in rambert the the conflict that mm-hmm. to me uh you know in in my uh, in my weaknesses and my failures i i relate to i took part in the spanish civil war on which side to asked the losing side But since then, I've done a bit of thinking. About what? Courage. I now know that man is capable of great deeds, but if he isn't capable of a great emotion, well, he leaves leaves me cold. Yeah, that's, that is Rambert talking to Taru. And and this is, that's towards the end of the section, right? Where Taru has sort of, it's interesting because like Paul is saying, where Taru is trying to be saintly and Taru, Mm -hmm. you can sense, is the one who's judging Rambert for not right. staying, whereas Dr. Rue actually accepts and honors his decision and says, yeah, yeah. You, you're, you should go. He's not going to stop go. him. He knows that he's working and, with black And what he's yeah. going for is valid, I think, Dr. Mm-hmm. Rue sees it. I, I, I don't think Dr. Rue has, I don't think there's any difference at all, really, philosophically, between Dr. Rue and Rambert. That Rambert right. wants, wants, wants great sentiments, and, and that's what... Mm-hmm. Dr. Rue wants, which is, which would by great sentiments. I mean, in Dr. Rue's way of, of, of thinking of it, that just means to be true to your own thoughts, true to your own self. Uh, the, the, the fight to, to achieve clarity on two plus two equals four is, is, is the fight to sweep away all the confusing doctrines and, uh, that, that, that are, that are put on us. And, and, and it's a fight to be, True to yourself, true to your own, and then true to your own, to your own emotions, and, and true to your own reality. Be clear about what is reality, and then to be true to it. So, so Rambert, Rambert just has a, a a different take on it because he's not from Iran. He, he he has a he has a different situation. By the time he's been in Iran long enough, so that he feels that he is from Iran, he sees it exactly the way uh, Doctor Rue sees it. So this is always the struggle is, is to be, is to be clear about who you are and, 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 and to, to get rid of the clouds or drunkenness of ideology and doctrine or theology that get into so, your own thinking. I'll say this is where, this is where I start to have issues. Um, there's an interesting note that um, Iris Murdoch wrote about this, about the existentialist novels more, more generally. Um, so Mur- Murdoch admired uh, Camus. She thought it was post-war France's most important intellectual. Um, 
in, in one of her essays, she writes, Rue is perhaps the most, is perhaps the perfect instance of the existentialist hero. He's a person with no illusions and no certainties. He does his job and he loves his fellows and serves them as far as he can. The only thing one might say is that these characters, who talk about existentialist fiction in general, and the universes which they inhabit are made excessively transparent. We can see a little too precisely what is being done. These people are appealing, but they are never enchanting, and the worlds in which they live are without magic and without terror. There is here none of the enticing mystery of the unknown, as we find in a writer like Alain Fournier, and none of the demonic powers we feel in Dostoevsky. There is not even the nightmarishness of the absurd which Kafka expresses. Sartre's nightmares are thoroughly intelligible. This is, after all, an unpoetical and unromantic literary tradition. In these worlds, there is ambiguity, but there is no mystery. This fact alone that there is no mystery would falsify their claim to be true pictures of the situation of man. Yeah, well, that's true, too. And, <laughs> and, 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 and that, that can, first of all, about Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky explains in length and passionately that two plus two equals five. And, <laughs> and he, 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 what is that? In, um, uh, uh, underground man. Underground man. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's very important to do that. So, I don't think, I don't think that Camus means to say that that his book has the whole of wisdom. His book is, you know, from a certain point of view, it's not really a novel. And yeah. What Iris Murdoch is calling for are, are are real novels with complexities and 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 all, all the human things that don't add up. That 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 so two plus two equals five. That 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 have all this. Uh, uh, the thick uh, cloud of of mystery. That's the subject for a, for a, a conventional novel. This is not a conventional novel and doesn't pretend to be. What this is is an allegory, and it's and it's in the tradition of allegory. I think it's 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 remote ancestor. I'm sure Camus never read it. Was was um, uh, the Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. 1678 you know which is about uh, a christian a, a guy a, a character named christian and 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 his various friends who, who who are trying to go to the to the celestial city and encounter all kinds of great calvinist or yes i mean it's a puritan novel and and uh, calvinist yeah and 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 encounter all kinds of obstacles and the worst of the obstacles are, are false theological ideas which which lead lead to any number of sins, like the sin of pride you know, mm. and, 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 and the sin of, of personal ambition, all kinds of sins that stand in the way of a true appreciation of, of the correct faith for, for Bunyan. And, and Camus is presenting the same thing. He's looking for, he's, he's got a, his small bunch of characters and, and they're trying to achieve uh, a, a, a simplicity of perception about themselves. They, that that Doctor Rue and Rambert too want want to get rid of all the all the deluding ideas that get get in our get in our way, including the ones that sound good like heroism, and 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 they they want to have the purity of 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 being able to see exactly who they are, exactly what is their situation in the world, and 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 what their obvious duty as 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 human beings ought to be. So they're looking for that very simple thing, and it's an error to default the novel for for uh, the plague for 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 not having the the you know the 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 crazy things that 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 you want to find in a in a conventional psychological novel. This isn't a psychological novel; it's an allegory. So it's it really is a lot like 
it's it's a work of fiction, which is also a work of philosophy. Yeah. And it's and, all Camus works of fiction or really, I mean, uh, yes. And, and so I disagreed with what was said about him at the, at, at the beginning by you, Jake, uh, uh, you said he's, he's an artist, not a philosopher. I, I think, I think ultimately he's a, he's, he's a philosopher who, 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 who works. This is what he said about himself. Well, yeah. you know, and yeah. I don't want to say that. Right. Uh, and that, that, that he, he works sometimes in novels and sometimes in plays because he read a lot of plays and, and sometimes, sometimes in philosophy. He doesn't call himself a philosopher, I think, because he's not, he wants to be clear that he's not claiming the academic credentials that, 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 that Sartre has. But he did, you know, write his dissertation on um, uh, Augustine. Yeah. And, so, and, he, and he studied Plato. I mean, no, to, for the record, I think he's a... Yeah vastly, vastly more important and more profound uh, philosopher on his worst day than Sartre was on his best day. So I, I consider, that, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll be happy to to say that to the, the most diehard Sartre devotee in the world. But um, <laughs> no, I don't mean to diminish him as a thinker and a philosopher. And I think, um, yeah. I think the rebel is a profound work of philosophy. Uh, but yeah, but that was... But I, I also think that, uh, like the, the, it's true. It's it's an allegory, clearly, and to fault it for not having the kind of complexifying detail or psychological ambiguity of a, a different kind of contemporary novel is uh, sort of a category error because that's not what it is. But I, I think that, uh, for one thing, we should talk for a moment about the criticisms of it, which are that. Um, I know Barth, uh, Roland Barth mm-hmm. made this criticism of it, and I, I believe some other people did as well, though I, the names are escaping me. But, Paul, I, you're, you're probably familiar with this, but people accused, people like Barth accused um, the novel of being a sort of failed allegory of fascism in the sense yeah. that Camus was taking out the human agency uh, from the monstrosity of fascism and suggesting that fascism was best understood as the sort of perennial mm-hmm. evil in the human condition. I don't find that convincing well, they, they, as a it was, criticism because I don't think that that's what he's doing. In fact, yeah. I don't think that this is an allegory about fascism. That seems to me a mistaken read, though it is an allegory. I don't think it's an allegory narrowly I, I there, about fascism. I think there are clear references to, you know, you read like the crematoriums and the bodies being thrown into pits and, and the trains going past that people would hear. I mean, there, there are sort of obvious things that you're supposed to think of the Nazis and the Holocaust. And Barth, um, you know, uh, you know, the line from it is, um, evil sometimes has a human face and about this, the plague speaks nothing, Right. Is it enough to be a physician being afraid of becoming an executioner? Should one be satisfied with healing wounds without confronting their causes? How should one behave when confronted with the attack of a human being? Yeah, but um, death sometimes has an inhuman face and there's no recourse to evil. Somebody right. should explain that to Barth. Yeah, yes, well, yeah. evil sometimes has a human face. Camus is well aware of that. The rebel is all, right. the rebel is a 500 page book about the human face of evil. It's, I, this I, is I, not I, lost I, on Camus. That, I, I, I do have to say. This whole yeah. book is about, this whole book <laughs> is about the faceless quality of suffering that there is such like, that's what a plague is though. It's not evil. Right. Well, you know, I was, I was about to say, I, I don't think, 
I think the question that Barth raises is interesting, right? But it's also clearly not, you know, Camus has already moved a step beyond that. And sort of interesting to think like, you know, he was attacked viciously by Sartre on these grounds. He was attacked viciously by Simone de Beauvoir. And it's sort of fascinating to see that, you know, Camus, who played a much more, you know, had a significant role in the resistance versus people like de Beauvoir and Sartre who didn't, right? Um, they are the ones who are claiming that he's sort of not taking the seriousness and the moral complications of resistance um, seriously enough, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that there's something... Uh, it, it, for Camus, perhaps, there can almost be something more comforting when there's a direct victim, right? Uh, sorry, a direct, uh, somebody directly responsible, right? Who you can blame. Um, and particularly who you can sort of categorize as the villain, right? And that, um, you know, there's a, a bit later in the novel where Taru is, is basically giving uh, a sort of fictionalized neither victim, victims nor executioner speech, right? Um, where he talks about uh, being a child and watching his father, who's a state prosecutor, trying a, a case in court. And his father is using all these, these these words about this man who's a killer who needs to be sentenced to death. Um, but all that Taru can see is this like man with a, an owlish expression on his face, right? And his father being unaware of the details. Um, and that, you know, so which leads Taru to think that, uh, you know, to be a good person, you need to have the fewest lapses of attention, and and you you need to use plain, clear cut language directly related to who you're talking about, right? Um, you know, it's it's all well and good to say that the the evil sometimes has a human face, um, and Camus is aware of that, but that only sort of deepens the problems when you look very deeply at that human face, right? Yeah, well, what I I think is that that Roland Barth had it all wrong. That 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 a second ago, you know, thirty seconds ago, a minute ago, I described the book, the plague, as as an allegory, and it is an allegory uh, about about being true to yourself and and being clear about your own place in the world and your own your own emotions. But it is not a political allegory, and. Everybody at the time saw it as a political allegory, and either as an allegory about the struggle against fascism, or, or um, more often even as an allegory about the struggle against communism. Which this is 1947, so it's the height of the Cold War. But it's not an allegory at all. I mean, I mean, we are the first people, uh, probably, to be able to see the novel, the plague, uh, in in its truest light, which is it is an absolutely realist novel. It's a novel about what things are like in a plague. And, and, and one page after, after another in, in, in Camus' The Plague is just astonishing for how accurately it depicts our own situation. Sometimes there's our own situation in regard to facts and, and, and the nature of epidemics and other times our own situation in regard to the emotions that we feel, the, 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 the things that the internal emotional things that we are going through as, as we right now are in the midst of a terrible plague. And so it, it, it's, it's, it's not a political allegory at all. It is a realist novel. And it was obviously, you know, I don't know. 
how he came about to write it. I don't know what, what, what research he did, but he obviously did a lot of intense research in the literature of, of epidemiology. And he, he got one point after another exactly right. I mean, a few points that are different from our situation, but, but, but an amazing number of points that are, that are, that are precisely it. So Roland Barth and, and the people who at the time insisted on looking at as an anti-fascist, uh, uh, book or as an anti-Stalinist book were the very people who he's describing as, as the erring humanists. They were the people who cannot imagine that there could be anything other than a human foe. But there is something other than a human foe. It's the foe we're facing right now. It is a virus. And, and it is a microbe, as, 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 he, as, he said, as Camus said, says here. It is not a human foe. And so the human foe that he's dealing with is, is, the, is the human proclivity for deceiving ourselves, for finding other reasons, uh, for, for, for finding ways to talk ourselves out of believing that two plus two equals four, for, for finding all kinds of reasons to avoid doing what we, what we, what we ought to be doing. Yeah, I think that this is one of the things that distinguishes him as a philosopher, actually, as a, you know, grouped in with the existentialists, is that he has a deeper appreciation for uh, naturalism, for the natural world. Uh, and maybe this oh, yeah. has to do with his uh, his love for, for the Greeks and his study of the Greeks. But, you know, the that ability to recognize in 19... When did he start? 1942, when he started this, that sense that even as somebody who believed that there was no meaning in the universe except that which, you know, man created through the encounter with the absurd, that that that, that person would have still this ability to have a perspective beyond the kind of radical humanism that included the inanimate, you know, the actual... Uh, it's one of the distinguishing qualities. And just to follow up on something Paul said, yeah, I mean, you know, it's the allegorical quality of the novel in the formal sense and in the structural sense is strong. And also in the, in the sense of how the sort of attributes are divided between the characters is one of the ways in which it's most sort of clearly and potently allegorical, you know, uh, of course, they're all being true to themselves, but they also, you know, represent certain tendencies. Ryu is both Ryu, and he's like uh, he is a a certain human tendency. You know, Rambert, the, the Toro, they all they they and in some sense, it's like Camus or Camus' sense of the world or Camus' ambitions for what he would like to be or uh, something like that. You know, distributed over a number of different characters. But if you, particularly in the earlier parts of the novel, like the sort of the way that the plague comes into Iran, the way that the people react initially, the measures that they take, the half measures, they, they don't close things off fast enough, the doctors rally but aren't listened to initially, the, the medicine doesn't works, but then it doesn't work. It's, it's very, very, uh, it feels, not not just realistic, but like he grasped something like there's some essential character to how human civilizations deal with this thing that comes up over and over again. That's my sense of it, at least. 
Yeah. 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 I, I also think, you know, one of the things that he has, you know, there, there are moments when I was reading this, you know, they're the characters and sort of the kind of play of ideas is, is really interesting as you're reading the novel. Um, but there are also these moments that are just kind of transcendent in the book. And, you know, I think, um, reading it the first time and again, uh, you know, reading it now, uh, during, you know, during the plague, um, uh, the moment that struck out, st- uh, sort of stuck out to me the most was when they go swimming, when Taru and Rue go swimming together. And, it's this just sort of exquisite, beautifully described bit where they sort of decide to just kind of take a break and go for a swim. Um, and the two of them go out into the water and it's this kind of rich and really sensuous description of the natural world and their relationship to it. And then the two of them swimming together. Um, and the kind of ice cold current that kind of, that comes in at one point. And Camus had this sort of very, um, as much as he could get caught up in ideas, um, a kind of grounding in the body and being a human being, um, suffering physical pains, the other sort of transcendent moment in the other direction is the death of the child and the description of that death. Right. Um, and I think that that sense of, um, sense of a human being that kind of puts all those intellectual matters aside for a moment, uh, and is very sort of, of a play uh, of a piece with the world, with the natural world, with oneself as a body is something that, that um, kind of the characters stop being architects. They start uh, archetypes. They become fully fledged people. It's a, it's a kind of point of entry for me. I, 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 I agree with that. And, and I think that there's something more to be said about, about on behalf of the novel and on behalf of Dr. Rue, which is, which is this, that it's true that from one Intellectually speaking, there there aren't great complexities to Dr. Rue, but but from another point of view, there are. You get a sense that Dr. Rue, it's never said explicitly, but you get a sense that that Dr. Rue is is heartbroken over Mm -hmm. something. And of course, we understand that that his wife dies ultimately. She's 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 away in and in in a sanatorium or I don't know what kind of uh, uh, medical um, facility, but 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 she's away and, and, and she dies. And, and there are many references in the course of the book to a kind of heartbroken quality or a sense of romantic disappointment on Dr. Rue's part. So this brings us back to the fact that, as I said earlier, this is a male novel. And, but it's, not, but it's that all the char- every single character is, is male except for Dr. Rue's mother, who's a, who's a very minor character. Well, they're one mm-hmm. or two. Uh, bit parts for, for, for women, but there are no major uh, uh, female characters. So yeah. And Rambert's wife is, or love interest is just kind of more an idea than she's an idea. Know, she shows up at the, at the end and throws herself 
you know, into his arms. It was wonderful. It was a happy ending. Um, but, but, but there are no female characters. And so it's, it's just a group of men, but it's a group, of, but, but, it, but it's, it's, it's not the kind of male novel where, where, where the, where the, the author appears not to know that there are women. And, and, and I mean, that's a certain kind of male novel. This is a, this is a, this is a male novel in which Camus understands, or Dr. Rue, who's, who's supposedly, you know, the, the, who's the narrator of it, um, understand, understand very well that there are women, that, that, that there's a whole other half of society who, who aren't being discussed here, and that the men all have relations with their wives or, or, or with, with women. In Dr. Rue's case, it, he keeps referring to disappointments. And, and he says that, that the plague has caused a, a, a wave of, of change relations uh, uh, between or change attitudes on the part of men uh, for their women, that husbands who used to be, uh, uh, you know, light on the question of, of marital fidelity have now become more serious. And other, other, other people have now become jealous and, and other people have now come to, to recognize that there's something mediocre about their about their love relations. And, and, and that they must accept this. So in one version after another, it, the typical thing is, the typical comment by Dr. Rue is that, is that, is that men are, are, are having to accept some limitation in what, they, in what they had wanted. And that Dr. Rue himself is having to accept that things have not worked out that in, in, in this part of his life, that, that, that something, something has been missing. And he just has to accept this. And so there's a heartbroken quality. And, and maybe this is there in Camus a lot. There's something very moving about Camus and, and about, about the man himself. That, you know, not the man that you, that you read about, but the man who you read as you, who you understand as you read his own pages. And some feeling that there's a prior emotion and, 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 and the prior emotion is, is heartbroken or, or disappointed or, or, or moved somehow. And in this case, in the case of this book, it leads to the steely quality that Dr. Rue has, uh, where, where Rambert goes on about how great is his emotion and his heart is bursting for his wife back in, 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 in Paris. And, and Dr. Rue never even says to him, it's Teru who has to say to him that Dr. Rue has a wife too, who, who, who's away. Dr. Rue would not even say this. And it's because Dr. Rue's emotions are so great that he cannot even express them. So he has, he has that, that gritted teeth quality of, of the 1930s and 40s and, uh, and the, the quality of, of, of a man whose, whose emotions are so vast that he cannot even acknowledge them. And, and something of that is underlying this this novel, and it's very uh, 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 touching. It's 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 a, it's a moving thing, but it's not the topic of the novel. It's 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 just just part of the the landscape of of the novel, the emotional landscape of the novel. Uh, it's definitely it's in Doctor Rue. There's that something uh, lost that sort of plaintiveness that's lost that yeah that, that's true Paul I wouldn't have that brings it to the fore for mm-hmm. me in a way that um it had only been sort of there in the background 
Rue thought it too, that a loveless world is a dead world, and always there comes an hour when one is weary of prisons, of one's work, of devotion to duty, and all one craves for is a loved faith, face, the warmth and wonder of a loving heart. Yes, and the only time you see that loving face, by the way, is the moment when Taru comes to visit Dr. Rue, and, and Dr. Rue uh, is living with his mother. And, and he, he, Dr. Rue mentions that his mother's face comes alive when she sees him. So, so Dr. Rue walks into, this, into the room and his mother's face light, light, lights up. And, you know, that's a very tender moment in, in, in the book. It's an unusual moment because it, it bears on a, on a relationship between the, the mother and son and, and, and an emotion, the mother's love, that are extraneous to the novel. And, and there aren't a lot of emotions uh, that are extraneous to the novel that, that appeared in the novel, but that's, that's, that's one of them. And, but yes, I mean, Dr. Rue, Dr. Rue has a lot on his heart that he doesn't tell us about. Yeah. So we, um, so normally for this, we'll have a, a manifesto, um, you know, usually something that's sort of arguing a point, um, and then we'll pair it with a work of art. Um, are we uh, arguing a point? Yeah. Uh, for this, are against? Yeah. So for this, we um, I'm against you know, we, plague. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, we have the uh, we decided that that um, you know this book is both manifesto and work of art at the same time. I think it it um, articulates a a clear sort of philosophical perspective, and also you know, functions as a work of art, a really powerful novel. I would be curious, um, where, where do you, you know, on the level of sort of manifesto or art, um, where would you place this? Where do you think it is most successful? And where do you think it's, it's least? Manifesto or art? Mm-hmm. Well, I think of it as a, as an allegory. So, mm-hmm. so an, alle- an allegory is, is a, is a work of art that is also a manifesto. And, and so a, an allegory is, is a different kind of novel than, than some other novel. It's not a psychological novel that doesn't look for the complications. It looks for the truths. A novel that looks for truths. I mean, normally I think of a novel, I think of a novel as, as, as something that doesn't look for truths. A no, the, the, the tension of a novel, what makes a novel work, is that there are multiple truths. And, and, and a novel is good because no one not, of the characters in a novel, if it's a good novel, none of them have the, the last word on truth. And, and, and that, that a novel works because one thing is true and another thing is also true. And, right. and, 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 and the characters are in conflict uh, 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 over this. An allegory does not have that. An allegory has a truth. And, and, and it's, it's not a flaw on the part of an allegory to have a truth. It's the goal of an allegory to have a truth. So if we were to ask how great a work of art is this, the question is, would be, should be rephrased as how artfully <laughs> Camus uh, present his allegorical search for truth. And I would say, you know, I think the question could be objectively answered that it's, uh, it's 73 years since, since the book appeared. And, and, 
we're reading at an absolutely astonishing moment that his own contemporaries could not imagine, though he had imagined, which is the reality of a plague. We're not afflicted by Nazis. We're not afflicted by communists. We're, we're afflicted a little bit, you know, by our own bad guys. But 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 really, we're 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 afflicted by by a virus, by a plague. And 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 so his novel is 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 a is a masterwork of of realism, and 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 it's it's an allegorical exploration of how you should respond to this realistically described truth, which which is that horrors like plagues exist. So I find it to be tremendously powerful, and and still more powerful if you set the novel down and just cast your eyes on the hospitals and, 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 and on the ambulances, you know, even as we're speaking, there've been one or two ambulance sirens that have been passing, um, uh, uh, passing, uh, uh, my apartment here in Brooklyn and a cast, cast your eyes on, on those things. And, and as I say, you we see, you know, all the characters in the novel, but, but one Dr. Rue after another and, and, and the brave, his brave friends who enlist, in in the sanitary sanitary squads, and even the ones with foolish ideas, like 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 Father Panalou joins the sanitary squad and dies. Yeah, and, and that's 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 one of the really nice moments in the novel when he he joins up. They say, um, you know, after his his sermon, I think it's Taru who says, um, you know, he's he's a much better man than his sermon, right? Um, he is. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Yes, it's it, it's true. It's 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 a wonderful thing to be able to say, you know, a a a, a real sectarian or an ideologue is someone who can never say yeah. that. Uh, this is the strength, uh, the novelistic strength, and it's you know, Camus is not exactly trying to hide his debts to Dostoevsky. I mean, it's not uh, he's not trying to hide his debts to Dostoevsky or anywhere else in his work. I mean, there's a the suffering of the child in this book, which is a, a a very powerful and dramatic scene, has an obvious sort of Dostoevsky and quality to it. The argument that ensues, this very dramatic up and down uh, pitched argument, then resolution, then dramatic again between Dr. Rue and uh, Panalu, the uh, the uh, priest. So, so that, that 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 part of the novel is one of the. One of the parts that didn't work as well for me. Um, so, well, I'll say, uh, I'll say two things. First off, um, I, I agree with you, and I, I love this book. Though, as far as you know, your, your point about the allegory and the one truth, Camus himself would probably disagree with that, right? He, um, in The Myth of Sisyphus, he writes, The thesis novel, the work that proves the most hateful of all, is the one that most often is inspired by a smug thought. You demonstrate the truth you, you feel sure of possessing. But those are ideas one launches, and ideas are the contrary of thought. Those creators are philosophers ashamed of themselves. Those I'm speaking of or who I'm, I imagine are, on the contrary, lucid thinkers. Any thought lost looking around and looking ahead that abandons unity glorifies diversity. And diversity is the home of art. And if there's a, a, a problem I have with this novel, it's that I don't think there's a true diversity of thought um, in the book, not, not in the way that you do in Dostoevsky, where sort of Dostoevsky's ideological opponents tend to be the most eloquent speakers in the book. Um, at no point 
are you tempted to be on Panelou's side? And Panelou's second sermon, where he sort of argues that you have to either accept everything or accept nothing, feels to me like, I mean, so it's, it starts with the death of a child and then goes into this sermon, um, feels to me like Camus sort of rewriting the Ivan Karamazov's discourse on the suffering of children and then the argument of the Grand Inquisitor, but sort of weakening it and making it safer for atheists. Um, I don't think he's trying. I think that, uh, or I think the illusion is deliberate or the evocation is deliberate. I, I agree with you. It's not as successful as uh, the Grand Inquisitor, the Brothers Karamazov in novelistic terms or for its aesthetic power, emotive power, but that's a, you know, can you fault can you fault the writer for not being Dostoevsky? But I do think if, that it, if, I do if, think if, he's if you take trying a shot at to the do. King, you best not miss. Yeah, well, I don't think that he's uh, just to to defend him in his um, in his failure and not quite managing to be Dostoevsky. I don't <laughs> think that he's trying to slide Panelou. I think that the novel is trying to inject uh, some of what Murdoch accuses it of not having in the character of panel that the sermons mm-hmm. are supposed to be, if sometimes they come off as overwrought in a way that's maybe unconvincing to us as readers, that's not Camus' attempt to undermine them. It's his attempt to imbue them with a kind of awful, uh, you know, uh, awful, not irrational power, but in uh, some sort of awful power that greater than the sum of the the kind of, uh, rational mind, and he's he's trying to do that, and, and and at the same time, of course, he makes Panelou as an individual, as a human who joins the sanitary squad. He makes him a um, a complicated, but ultimately yeah. not a, not a wicked character. Say he wouldn't use the term wicked, but sympathetic in his way. But you know, he makes a there's a statement that at some point that gets made by Rue, Dr. Rue, and he's talking to Toreau, and he's saying that if Panelou really believed what he believed, right, if he really believed in the all-powerful providential mm-hmm. quality of the universe, if, you know, if the, the sort of pilgrim's progress aspect, you know, if, the, if providence really was everything, then he'd just lie down. He wouldn't do anything at all. He wouldn't wash his hands, you know, he wouldn't do anything. And you could say the same thing, of course, about if Camus really believed in the utter meaninglessness of the universe and in the, and in the ultimate muteness and absurdity of existence, you know, that, of course, Camus insists that he encounters the 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 abyss and the absurd and in that encounter creates meaning but um you know there's a oh you're in some sense reading back into that encounter um a sense of the meaning that you're then supposing you have the ability to create and you can see you can see some of that there so like the the I don't think that the philosophy is beyond questioning or examination, though I do think the the ultimate quality of the philosophy is not whether it's mathematically or philosophically perfect for that matter. It's how it works in the world. And Camus 
if you take the plague as a, forget about philosophy or allegory in the formal sense, if you take the plague as, you know, you're an alien, you were just dropped in New York City a week ago, and this is just a, a text, you don't know anything else about it. It's a pretty good text to read, to understand how you ought to behave in the world and how you could be of some use to your fellow human beings and how you could comport yourself in such a way that you would feel fully human and not afflicted by your own conscience, even if you wound up dying of the plague. I mean, it's in that sense, whatever Although, its other formal qualities, it works, right? And the, it works the, as a story. The fully human moments are not for me, Certainly not Rue articulating his philosophy, or even when he's treating patients. Um, the most fully human moment would be when him and Rue go out and share a swim together. Um, which I don't know is where the novels, you know, sort of moments like that that he finds where the novel seems to touch on something um, somehow deeper and 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 also sort of more primal and physical. Um, and yet also sort of mysterious, right? That has a little bit of that mystery that Iris Murdoch complains that uh, the existentialists lack. To, to, me, yeah. to me, the strength of the novel is, is something else. And it's, it's, it's the intellectual clarity. And um, from a novel, I don't want, from a, uh, uh, a normal novel, I don't want intellectual clarity. Right. <laughs> right. But, but, but for this novel proposes to give us intellectual clarity and it does. Yeah. And to me, the, the, the really dramatic moments, the moving moments are not the, 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 are not the very sentimentally moving moments, the death of the child or the, or the swim in the sea with, with, with Taru or, or, or a number of other events, Rambert's decision to, to stay in Iran and fight the plague. The moving moments are, are the, inter, are the intellectual debates and, in this novel, not in every novel, but in this novel, and 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 it, these are intellectual debates intended to arrive at a truth, and the truth is a very grand truth. It's not that the it's it, it's a very grand truth. It's as grand a truth as saying that the that the that the universe or the cosmos has meaning. And, but he, Camus does have a way of saying that it has meaning, which is which is that man, humankind has a meaning and and that the meaning is that we must be faithful to that which is which is human we have to be faithful to ourselves and to the obvious thoughts that come to us if we are faithful to ourselves which is that we must fight we must combat death even though we know that the, the combating of death is only it never achieves a total victory and and obviously not and and but we combat death anyway, because that's what it is to be human. And to be yeah. human is, is to feel the solidarity with, with, with all the other humans who are also combating death. And, and to be uh, intellectually lucid means to be able to distinguish between those people who understand that and the, 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 the combat against death and, and versus the people who have all kinds of elaborate reasons for not understanding it, who might want to whose elaborate reasons might consist of, of um, theology for pa uh, Father Panalu or, or might consist of, in Camus' uh, political life, might con uh, consist of any number of political doctrines, fascism, Nazism, communism, the various crazy ideas that Sartre sometimes 
uh, took up and and a, a long slew of slew of ideas. So, so I think Camus is 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 marvelously, thrillingly clear about this. And 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 a crucial passage is is one where Rue and Taru are, are debating. Taru says says that he wants to be a saint. And 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 Rue says uh in so many words, uh, that he just wants to be a man. He, he, he wants to be faithful to, to what it is to, to be a man. And then, and Taru responds by, by, by saying, uh, I'm not so ambitious as that. And, and, and Ru thinks at first that Taru is joking because the idea of the notion of trying to be a saint, of wanting to be a saint, sounds so much greater than the notion of wanting to be a man. But then he realizes, no, that Tru actually understands that that the desire the to be a man is greater than the desire to be a saint, because to to be a man is to be a full human being with every aspect of that. To be a saint is just to comport yourself according to some very narrow idea, and and so it. It's Dr. Rue who has has the very grand idea. Taru understands that, uh, but is doesn't have the intellectual power of of, of Dr. Rue and, and is not able to express it perfectly. So he says, "I want to be a saint." But mm-hmm. really, uh, he understands very well that the desire to be a man is the highest I- idea. is 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 the highest ideal, and and that's the moving quality. In this book, it's the desire to be a, a human being combating that which is not human at all is a microbe. This is, uh, in a sense, you know, it's partly what you're describing, Paul. I think Camus is very idiosyncratic and I think quite brilliant reading of Nietzsche that you get from the rebel, which is, you know, the this being fully a man as something that is greater than being a saint is in part this rather particular reading. I'm not saying it's that it proceeds this schematically, but it, it may seem counterintuitive to imagine that this kind of humble vocational sense of being a man that's embodied in Dr. Rue doesn't want to be heroic. He's not a ubermensch at all. He just wants to be a man in the simplest possible sense, the most unceremonial sense. Um, but that there's a way in which this stripping away of all illusions and then fully embodying the human um, Camus, you know, he sees that, I think, you know, this long chain that he describes in The Rebel that starts with Epicurus and Lucretius, and he traces through these many figures and, and many twists and some rather diabolical turns. Um, but that then goes through Dostoevsky and Nietzsche, and, and it's, it's rather miraculous in a sense. Um, uh, maybe he wouldn't appreciate that word, but it's rather miraculous where it arrives with Camus and this character of Dr. Rue, whose sense of the highest order of what it means to be human is to live in such a humble and purposeful way. Yes, I, but, but, go but, ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. Putting it in another way, since yeah. he used the word Ubermensch. Yeah. 
of the highest of all ideals is to be a mensch. Is to be a mensch. <laughs> is to be a mensch. This reminds me, there's um, Isaac Bashevis Singer has this short novel. Um, yes, I agree. Isaac Bashevis Singer has a short novel called The Penitent. And it's about this, um, it's one of his later novels he wrote towards the end of his life. And I read it when I was very young. I don't remember all the details, but basically there's this Jewish guy from New York who he's like, he has a midlife crisis and he becomes a Hasid, I think. And, or he becomes Orthodox initially or something. He moves to Israel, but there's this through line throughout the novel where even as he becomes religious, he maintains his, um, vegetarianism, which Singer was himself a vegetarian and the other Orthodox Jews into whose world he moves, uh, you know, the rabbis are always displeased by the vegetarianism because it's, he's trying to be holier than what God commands of him. You know, just, just there's this many commandments. Do the, you don't want to go beyond that. You know, it's hubristic or something, but listen, I'm very sorry to say we only have nine minutes left here because I foolishly set a two hour limit. Um, so let me, let me quickly move us into one final thing I want to talk about and, and I don't want to monopolize mm-hmm. things. I'm sure you guys have final thoughts as well, but I, I do want to say, right. That it, as we're talking about this novel, this allegory, the plagues, we're talking about Camus in this moment where we are stricken ourselves by a plague I, you know, I, I, wonder and there's this uh, one of the things that Camus describes in the book is the way that there's moralists become fatalists and there are these moralists who say Panalu is only the most dramatic example of this but there are these moralists who say don't do anything at all right because just this is uh, they become fatalists essentially and I, I could read a quote where he makes this point, but uh, many fledgling moralists in those days were going about our town proclaiming there was nothing to be done about it, and we should bow to the inevitable, right? And Panalu is like the dramatic sermonizing, but that, that sentiment is. And yet, to come back to two plus two equals four in our own age for a moment, I see this moralizing on every side of things at the moment, and I'm profoundly disquieted by it. I don't know what to make of it. I see people sort of fetishizing lockdown for political reasons, it seems to me. I see people fetishizing anti-lockdown for political reasons. I see people who seem very proud not wearing a mask has become the new toting around an AR-15 for a certain crowd, you know. But there's this tendency that I see on all sides um, to take these facets, these facts of life at the moment, which are themselves like dynamic responses to this thing that's happening, and then harden them into these statues to turn them in the moment into these, you know, like ideological instruments. Uh, People who two months ago were, were, as much of the mainstream media was doing two months ago, sort of scoffing at how this wasn't any more serious than than uh, the flu and and uh, the the greatest threat was fear itself or anti Asian racism or something like that. Who are now like hardcore uh, believing totally in their own scientific knowledge. A- anyway, I don't have any answers. I'm just trying to be a mensch myself here. But I do see this tendency all around me, 
this difficulty in saying two plus two equals four and this recourse to ideological constructs as a kind of a comforting, you don't, you don't have to do the math yourself, right? So I don't know, that's what I see. And I've shut down all conversation with that. I, we've only got six minutes left, gentlemen, so <laughs> you definitely don't want to let that be the last word, I'm sure. I, I was going to say that I really like the guy in the novel who spits at cats. Mm. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the old, uh, the, the old uh, yeah, very elderly uh, sick guy, yeah. Um, no, well, I, I mean, I agree. It, it's... it's... <laughs> It's amazing how um, it gets spun up into um, <laughs> into what to me are not actually inconsequential political battles, though they take on grotesque forms, right? Um, in in kind of contemporary political dialogue, and I think that um, I think knowing what Figuring, figuring out that two plus two equals four, I think is actually quite difficult a lot of the time. It's not, um, it's not often so clear um, how to organize a society in, in relationship to something like this, when you should open up, when you shouldn't, what, what is a reasonable restriction, what's not. Um, and uh, to say nothing of, of, of other types of, of political decisions. And I also think that ultimately sort of, being true to yourself is somewhat difficult. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, uh, it's difficult I think, when there's not a plague. I think that knowing yourself, um, you know, I, uh, uh, is, is not just a hard thing, but I'm, I'm very sympathetic to the idea that, uh, you know, the sort of Augustinian, you know, uh, there's no rest until we find our rest in God. That sort of, there is no, um, I don't think that that there is a kind of clear, authentic self to necessarily be true to. Um, nevertheless, uh, I do find I do find the characters in this novel tremendously compelling. Well, I mean, I agree that many people are behaving badly, but I also think the novel helps us see just what a tremendous number of people are actually. Yeah. Behaving brilliantly, and yeah. and 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 we, we we have thousands and thousands of Doctor Rose, and so yeah. it's, it's thrilling to see it. It's magnificent, and and Camus, I think, helps us see that. I, I think that's that might be a good note to end on. Sort of, there's this refrain in the novel that that most people are good, and I think that um, you know you sort of look at the political debates and you become convinced that you live in an insane distorted horrible country um and then you sort of see what the people around you and your community are doing and, and people tend to be looking out for one another um and and trying to you know do things that are reasonable and, and, and take care of each other and then of course you know that the people who are really um risking things right um yeah Paul, oh, it's a, a great honor. Thank you so much for doing it. It's been wonderful. Thank you. All right. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, yeah, I'll send it to you once we've got the file 
done and all that, and you can share it on your Twitter account. You could post it to your Facebook. I know That's you're very my active. Twitter, my Facebook, all, all my TikTok, my TikTok. Yeah, yeah, I got the whole thing. Believe me, the whole thing. Okay, well, I'll. Uh, I, will I, let you know. I have none of that. I, I, I have zero. You have none of that. Hold. On. Why did we have you on, man? I don't yeah, know. What are you no, doing there? I don't even have an email list, so you know, oh, I'll, I'll yeah. mail it out oh. by by snail mail. This um, is a waste of time, then. I'm <laughs> yeah, so sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. It's great. Right, thank, thank you. Thank you. And from that point of view, it's most improbable that anyone will ever know exactly who is enjoying the shadow of whom. I've given our objector his fair share of program time. When these men talk, I never know whether to regard him as a man of genius or as an ape of genius.